0: Hi and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod, the Sectarianism, Proxies, and Desectarianisation podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Mayburn, and today I'm joined by Abdullah Baboud. Abdullah is someone whose work I've long admired. He's doing a lot of fascinating work on the Gulf, on Gulf-EU relations, and at present he's visiting professor at the Middle East Institute at the National Univers- University of Singapore. Abdullah, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you Simon. I'm also an admirer of your work and thank you for this opportunity and the kind invitation to be with you.
0: You're very kind, Abdullah. Thank you so much. Abdullah, can we start by by uh, me asking you what what got you interested in in politics uh, political science, geopolitics and and the Gulf politics, please?
1: Yeah, it's a very uh, good question. Uh, One of the good questions to start with. I was actually, my background is business studies. Okay. Uh, and uh, I initially started my career working in business. Um, but I was always fascinated uh, with what is going around in, 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 in politics. And, right. And, you know, business is also kind of linked to politics in so many different ways. And I was, I was interested in the bigger picture. Um, so I made the foolish mistake of leaving a very successful business career <laughs> and, going to, uh, and joining uh, uh, and joining an academic career, which of course is a very hard work. It doesn't pay but it satisfies me in so many different ways and I'm very happy that I uh, I, I choose this path rather than being a businessman.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm pleased that you left that successful business behind. Abdullah, what was it? Um, what was it that you were working in? What was your business?
1: Well, I was uh, working uh, in
0: uh, 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 almost a conglomerate Okay. Uh, 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 company that has
1: offices in Oman, uh, but also in the region and in Europe and the United States. And basically, it was involved in so many different uh, uh, sectors, um, um, being, of course, you know, the, the traditional ones like constructions and engineering, consultancy, um, uh, trade, um, travel and tourism, Investments and um, it was it was like you know almost doing everything. It's one of those kind of family uh, businesses that had uh, an interest in many different sectors. <laughs> right. I, I uh, eventually became the managing director uh, oh, wow. of the organization, uh, but then I decided that it's it's not me. Uh, I wanted to do something else in life.
0: Well, the organization's loss is, is definitely academia's gain. So I'm really pleased that you uh, you decided to to change your career. Was there a moment, Abdullah, that that prompted this move? Was there a particular inc- incident, incident, or, or or moment in time that you thought that that Halas, this isn't for me. I want to go into academia.
1: Um, I, I think Simon, I. Uh, I always loved research and books, uh, and always loved reading. And um, I did not have the time while I was in business to do to do so. Right. I always also enjoyed having uh, good friends around, and I thought while well, I was in business, it is all about interest uh, and what you can get uh, from me or what I can get from you. But it is, a you know, real friendship wasn't there I didn't feel it and and also I was working very very hard and one day I fell ill and was in uh, my hospital bed uh, doing uh, some treatment and at that moment it occurred to me uh, I started thinking you know is this really what I want to do in life right is it all about money about profits uh, bottom line and all of that, or is there something else that I uh, I should do that is uh, you know it's more satisfying in so many ways? Um, so um, I, this is when I started thinking about academia, and of course I am happy with it, but my family isn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can understand
1: my, that. My children keep blaming me. They said, Dad, when you were in business, we used to fly first class, in top stars hotels, and now we are. <laughs> Uh, going
0: shuttered cars
1: <laughs> achieve oh. cheap accommodation. Uh, but it's very satisfying in so many
0: different ways. Sure. Uh, you're poor children. But I can imagine it's far more fulfilling <laughs> for, for you. Abdullah, how did you do this then? You, you decided that academia was, was right for you. So then did you decide to go and do a PhD? Did you transition straight into research? What was the, what was the trajectory?
1: Well, I I I I, went, uh, I left business. I thought I'll go out initially uh, to do uh, uh, MBA, uh, which I, I did. Uh, and when I finished, I realized that I didn't learn much. Uh, um, and since since uh, most of the things that I learned were, I was already practicing in business. It it was interesting, but it wasn't kind of very fulfilling in in many ways. And I thought, hmm, I you need to do something else now. And I was very much interested in international relations, so I did uh, an MA in international relations, and that's what uh, at the University of Kent in Canterbury. And that's what started to get me to think more about um, global politics, global international economy, etc. And, and then decided to do my PhD and apply to the, uh, to Cambridge, where I. Um, did my PhD and then I start to work there for a while.
0: Fantastic! It's really interesting that that you're you're contextualizing this because, looking over your your career, abdullah you've got such a a wide range of interests, and it's it's really interesting to see how how your your sort of previous life, if you will, is shaping some of the the bits of trajectory that you're doing. For instance, the. The EU GCC economic dimensions and and the trade between the two, which is, it it seems a bit of an outlier when you look at the the other stuff that you've done on sport or on uh, or on security. So it's interesting that that there's maybe a a legacy of your your previous life, if I may.
1: Um. Yes, I. I... Um, in terms of the EU-GCC, uh, uh, I mean, actually, that was, that was also the title of my PhD. Right. Um, OK.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yes. And at that time, uh, the EU, uh, the European Union and the Gulf Cooperation Council, the GCC, started to talk to each other, talking uh, about the idea of a free trade agreement between them, it was very interesting topic because it would have been, had they signed that agreement, it would have been the first group-to-group, um, uh, if you like, a free trade agreement. Uh, there was a lot of potential, um, uh, there is uh, interdependence between uh, the EU and the GCC. Their, the whole idea of regionalism was kind of thriving at the time, and inter-regional cooperation was also very interesting. So it was a new dynamic and and a new idea, and I thought i will do my research on this. It involved politics, economics, business, um, uh, and, of course, you know, social issues. So it was in so many ways uh, interesting. I spent a lot of, many years, of course, researching this and then working on the topic. Very excited about the topic as well because I thought, you know, uh, Europe and, The Gulf states and the Middle East have a lot to offer to each other. Um, And uh, and it would have been, um, you know, having a better and good relationship would have led to something much more interesting uh, for both regions uh, and and much more beneficial. But unfortunately, that that, uh, kind of uh, aspiration uh, that I had, but also perhaps both groups had, did not, uh, were not fulfilled, and the relationship did not develop as much as we wanted to, and there were a lot of obstacles that faced uh, both groups um, in terms of, uh, of course, they were, uh, to begin with, they were incompatible uh, in so many different ways, and they had different interests, and uh, international the re- realities of international political economy kind of uh, stood on, on the way, uh, and Uh, the relationship stood in time, unfortunately. But although I hear that it is now being revived in in so many different ways, and I hope that um, they have learned from previous lessons that they can actually uh, do that, because the good relationship between the EU and the GCC could have a much larger impact, not only on both regions, but also on the regions between them, you know, the whole Middle East. Mm. uh, 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 uh or the MENA region uh, that is now suffering from so many different problems economic political social etc and uh, having a good relationship between the gulf and europe could also lead to uh, more stability and economic development uh, and it could spill over to uh, to other regions so, uh, so, so- yeah.
0: Abdullah, what, what were the, the main structural impediments to this this taking hold? I mean it's easy to see how there, there are a number of, of synergies between the two blocks, if you will. So what were the what were the impediments to this in, agreement really really taking hold across time and having a lasting impact?
1: Um, there were a number of uh, of those if you like hurdles or obstacles or impediments as we called it and one of them is to do with the structure of both organizations uh, the type of regional integration in each side Europe of course followed a very much deeper uh, uh, de- deeper integration uh, level uh, that's led of course to the EU and and you have a commission that has competence, that it can negotiate, and, uh, especially on trade issues on behalf of member states, while the GCC was—the uh, uh, type of, organ- uh, of uh, uh, integration in the GCC was rather shallow in so many ways, and uh, uh, there was no super uh, national body like the European Commission uh, within the GCC. To be able to represent and negotiate on behalf of member states, uh, they also the composition of the GCC itself. Um, we have you have one large country that is Saudi Arabia, and uh, other five smaller countries. And Saudi Arabia dominated uh, the organisation, or still dominates it, and being the largest economy, the largest country, uh, the most powerful, um, other. Uh, Gulf states just followed the Saudi line. Um, And uh, Saudi had more, if you like, interest with the EU than than the others. It was a bigger market. Um, So uh, the Saudis also had an issue initially with the European Union because of their industrialization and their moving from um, exporting oil and gas to uh, producing petrochemicals that was met with a very strong resentment from the petrochemical lobby uh, and the chemical lobby, uh, uh, if you like, industry in in Europe, um, and that was a big, if you like, uh, obstacle uh, sure, to yeah. the negotiations. Uh, so the petrochemical issue was one, but also, um, as, as you know, the European um, Union had a say on how these um, uh, regional trade organizations are, are uh, being uh, uh, signed by the commission, and they insisted that certain conditions are uh, are met, and that is something to do with, of course, democracy and human rights, which, of course, uh, created another uh, impediment um, uh, within uh, the GCC. And then the Saudis decided that they want to... Um, add um, uh, they wanted to add export duties to their oil uh, uh, sector and that was actually the final straw if they uh, come back as it were um, the European Union refused that and they said look you know this is a free trade agreement should not allow for something like this and if you wanted to have extra duties it has to be under certain conditions, and um, you know, the, the, it ha, we have to meet, of course, the WTO rules and uh, and and the w, WTO plus, uh, And uh, these export duties are not going to be; it, it, they will go against, if you like, the, the spirit. And the letter of a free trade agreement, and that basically kind of slowed down um, the right. negotiations. Yeah, and eventually the Saudis gave up, um, and I think both sides were getting tired, uh, and there was a fatigue, uh, if you like, in negotiation. But I hear that now it started to slowly pick up. But of course, the GCC now is in. In a very bad shape, as you all oh, know. And uh, there is no consensus within the GCC. And the GCC states are uh, almost at odds with each other. So I don't know where this is going to lead us.
0: Sure. Um, I, I'm a little bit scared to ask this question, Abdullah, so I, I hope you'll forgive me. But I, I wonder what impact do you think Brexit will have on on ties and trade between the GCC and, and perhaps the UK and, and other members of the EU bloc?
1: I actually um, uh, um, organized uh, a workshop at the Gulf Research Meeting at Cambridge this summer on right. this very top. okay. Yes, and um, uh, we had a number of papers and we we're hoping that uh, we'll have a book published, an edited book published uh, Excellent. On, on this topic. Um, well, Brexit has... Um, um, uh, has different effects on, on on the region. First of all, the GCC is is watching what is going on in Europe and thinking, you know, is this going to happen to us as well? You know, will there be um, some people would say Quexit where Qatar with uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: would leave the GCC or uh, Omexit or, or Oman would leave the GCC?
1: But these are just, you know. Uh, uh, ideas that come uh, from time to time. Uh, but anyway, it's been washed uh, in, in so many ways because the GCC, uh, the European Union still represents the most successful regional uh, organization, and I think other regional organizations have to take lessons of what goes on in, in Europe. Uh, so that is on, on one level. The other level, uh, it seems that the GCC is keen uh, now to see that their relationship with uh, uh, with the UK uh, uh, will uh, improve more uh, they know that the UK will be more dependent on international trade and they will see that the europe will uh, and they will see that the UK will be without the european union protection as yeah. it were, yeah. uh, without the group so they can impose certain conditions and they can benefit from this Um, And I think they are looking forward for uh, more, if you like, cooperation with the the UK. And it seems that the UK is also going to be desperate in so many ways uh, and wanted to have more, uh, open up more relationship because they feel that they were constrained uh, by uh, EU policies. Sure. So uh, there is, there is uh, like, if, like a feeling that maybe trade uh, and economic level will continue, but maybe there is it's just uh, an aspiration. One has to look at the realities at the, uh, uh, yeah. at the end.
0: Uh, well, thank you for humoring so me have- on that, Abdullah. Right? I appreciate it. And I can entirely understand why you would have been entirely fatigued with Brexit. I know most of our listeners probably are, and I certainly am. But I thought it would be remiss of me not to ask you about it when we have you here.
1: Oh, yes. Um, and I think there is also, you know, the uh, UK is probably finding ways now to have more involvement with the Gulf, not just economically, but also in terms of being involved militarily and security issues. And uh, you know, there are some good and bad things about this, which we will have to watch in the future.
0: So Abdullah, you've you've written a lot on on a range of other factors, and it'd be great to to talk more about some of those uh, another time, perhaps. I'm really keen to talk to you uh, another time about sport in the Gulf and sport and identity and and the evolution of of some of these identities and the uh, the economic dimensions. But I want to talk a little bit about about Oman's role in the Gulf, if I may. And and I think there's been a lot of coverage of Oman, but not very much scholarly work on Oman's position in the contemporary Gulf. And this is where I think your work has so much value. So can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you're you're trying to do when you're looking at Oman and its foreign policy and, and its position in the GCC, please? Yes. Um, uh, I don't know how much time we have,
1: but Oman <laughs> has more time and uh it's a small country, um, and, and it has, of course, limited, uh, if you like, resources. And given its location, given its um, uh, e- economic, uh, military, uh, and base, it is a country that has always, and also given its background and culture, it's a country that's always wanted to have peace. They know in Oman that they can only exist and thrive if there is a peaceful uh, relation amongst uh, the countries and the region. And that is something that is really ingrained, if you like, in the Omani uh, political thoughts, uh, from the top leadership to, to the bottom. Uh, um, and, of course, they also wanted to have their own independence, and they don't want to be dominated or bullied by the uh, the larger countries, whether it is Iran on one side or Saudi Arabia on the other, and they sure. want to make a, you know kind of uh, try as much as they uh, they can uh, to play this omni-balancing game between uh, uh, the member states uh, in the GCC and also the member states of the GCC and Iran, um, and they know that also through economic cooperation, through more dialogue. And avoiding, uh, you know, conflicts and war that uh, that the region could uh, could uh, thrive and could uh, develop. So I think that are the basis of what determines the Omani foreign uh, policy. And they don't like what they see now, whether it's the blockade on Qatar, uh, because that affects the whole GCC uh, uh, region and it affects uh, integration and the cooperation within the GCC and. Has, built a lot of mistrust among the GCC member states at the leadership level, but also at the um, level of, if you like, the population. Uh, and they don't like what they see in terms of the antagonism with uh, with Iran. Uh, they think that Iran is a regional country, it has... <clears throat> um, uh, history and uh, geography. Uh, geography tells us and, and uh, reminds us that Iran is a very important country in the region. We do not necessarily like to have to. Uh, we do not necessarily need to like everything they do, but there must be a way that we can uh, deal with them. And I think that Oman has found that way and dealing with Iran in in a very constructive way uh, to the extent that Oman has really helped to uh, start the negotiations on the GCPOA, the nuclear deal agreement, yeah. which Trump has, uh, had withdrawn from it now. Um, and even now, with all the situation and the war in Yemen, Oman is trying very hard to see if we can um, help in, in many ways. Of course, uh, on, on the level of humanitarian assistance, Oman is playing a very important role there. Uh, but also it's uh, making itself available and creating a platform where uh, the Houthis and perhaps the Saudis and the Americans can come and talk. So Oman is trying to make a useful role, uh, uh, play a useful role by, um, to, um, you know, to peace and stability and security in the region. Unfortunately, this is not seen by um, some member states in the GCC as being constructive. You know, we, are, uh, we live in a world where there is uh, now uh, uh, polarization, you're either with us or against us, and Oman doesn't like to be um, in one camp or, or the other. So Oman sometimes is uh, suspected by its neighbors that it's not following their line. Yeah. Uh, I think that is something that uh, they can never uh, be on one camp or the other. They will always opt to have independent uh, line, where they can help uh, a negotiation and peaceful coexistence.
0: And I think that's that's why so many people view Oman in, in such a positive light. But Abdullah, my, my final question to you, and, and we must continue this at a later date because there's so much more that, that we can discuss. But if I may, one final question is, why is it that, that Oman rejects this binary, this this Schmittian view of, of ordering? Why does it say that we don't want to be um, either with X or Y, we want to have a more inclusive form of, of regional politics?
1: Well, it's, um, this game of uh, dominating the region that both Iran and Saudi Arabia are playing, Playing is dangerous for the region. Uh, No one country likes to be uh, uh, dominated, and um, it seems that both countries are locked in into this uh, competition of hegemony uh, uh, in the region. And this is what is really bad for for the whole region. And Oman doesn't like that. Uh, Oman has. as I said, you know, because of its history, uh, because of its geography, because of its natural endowment, it, it, it wants to have its space. It wants to develop. Yeah. It wants peaceful coexistence. It doesn't want to be uh, dominated by its larger neighbors or, uh, or bullied by them. So I think that is that goes along for uh, for many countries in the world. You know, no one wants to be dominated uh, I mean, it's it's very natural. But also, Oman believes that only through constructive engagement of all the parties that you can have peace and you can have development. He also believes that development can only happen if there is stability. uh, And we need to achieve that. And we need to achieve, and, and, and also more inclusiveness. Yeah. At the moment, as you know, the GCC is only for the Arab Gulf states. Uh, There is nothing uh, that can bring Iran into a more structural arrangement, that we can have negotiations with them uh, 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 at a level where, uh, you know, we can avoid conflicts, and there is no confidence-building measures. Uh, and there are no cooperation and, and, and so on. And Oman is pushing for this, saying that, look, you know, um, we're not going to benefit anything from this uh, competition and hegemonic ambitions of both Iranians and the Saudis, but why not find ways to mm-hmm. turn this hegemonic competition into more cooperation yeah. and, and, and more inclusive, Structural arrangement that, is, uh, that includes Iran, includes Iraq, because they're all Gulf countries. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, on that positive note. That
1: makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And on that positive note, Abdullah, I'm conscious that, that we've taken up a lot of your time and you're about to go and teach. So, so I will say thank you so much. It's been a, a real pleasure talking to you. I've learned a lot and I look forward to continuing this another time.
1: Simon thank you very much it's always a pleasure <laughs> thanks abdullah for seeing you and talking to you again thank you
0: thank you very much and thank you for listening until next time